continuing my Christmas series called uh, The Ultimate Gift. We're talking about uh, God's gift to us 2,000 years ago uh, with Jesus, and, and the, the, that was the ultimate um, gift that anyone could have ever given. And uh, so uh, it's called the Incarnation, theologically, the idea that God became flesh and uh, joined us uh, living as a human among humans. And uh, it's also called Advent, and the, the, for the Advent season or the Advent wreath or an Advent candle, Advent means like coming or the coming, the idea that God came near. And um, I think what we see in Scripture is that there's no greater gift that God could have given us than he did 2,000 years ago when he came to us in the form, the person of Jesus. So there's this, uh, what has become for me kind of the perfect Christmas um, illustration, concept, whatever, really, really helps me connect with what God did 2,000 years ago. So um, uh, we went to spring training a couple years in a row, and, and a couple years ago when Spencer was 15, um, so Major League Baseball spring training, uh, teams divide between, uh, there's Florida teams and there's Arizona teams. And we went to Arizona two years in a row, absolutely loved it, and, and uh, the, the, they're all in close proximity, like they have home stadiums and they play in close, close proximity. So we went to like five games in three days. And uh, thanks to a very good friend of mine, um, my son Spencer, then 15 years old, was able to be a bat boy at one of the, <clears throat> one of the Indians games. And so you see, like, that's, that's Spencer going down into the dugout. He's on the other side of the fence with the players. And uh, there's Sandy Alomar right behind him. And then off to the right, I just noticed this yesterday or the day before yesterday, off to the right walking out to the mound, uh, that was a then-unknown Shane Bieber. I, like, happened to look at the jersey and say, hey, Spence, did you know that Bieber was on the mound when you were there? And, like, he was, I guess, just a minor leaguer at the time. Uh, but it was an incredible experience in that, like, there's always just, you know, for, for most of us, common folk, there's separation between the, uh, the, the players and, um, and then the fans. And so to, to go there and watch Spencer make his way down by the dugout through the stands, and there's, you know, piles of kids and fans standing there by the dugout getting, you know, and then they have, to, they have to part ways, and he gets to go down, and they open the gate for him, and he crosses over onto the field. And then you watch all the kids that are looking at, like, look, you know, looking on in envy because he gets to go be in the dugout and they're asking him for baseballs and things all game and and uh, and the, just the story like you could imagine what that would be like for a teenager who loves baseball to actually be there in the dugout. Um, he, he talked about <clears throat> talking uh, talking uh, March Madness hoops with uh, Terry Francona there in the dugout and you know fist bumping. Uh, Roberto Perez after a home run. And then there was a point when he's like, Dad, I'm standing there and the dugout's kind of tight and, and I could feel you know, a player walks and stands shoulder to shoulder like his shoulder was up against mine and I could feel him twitching. And I realized he's timing up like you know, pitcher would, would pitch and he would twitch the, the time up uh, his, his swing. And then, and then he, he, he walked over to get the bat and I looked, it was Jose Ramirez. And so like just that kind of proximity to the players and the action and that separation of like there's that netting, there's that fence that normally separates us from the good stuff. <clears throat> we got to look in from the outside. <clears throat> but for him, 
he got in his, you know, for, even for a dad to see your kid down there was, was incredible. Well, so, um, you know, unfortunately he crosses back over and now he's, you know, now he's an anybody again. And the next day we go to the Cubs stadium um, there in Arizona and watch a Cubs game. And we're outside now, you know, normal people, we're the anybody's, we're, we're the cattle. And they're just, you know, the, the security's kind of herding us, like, you know, in groups of people as, as hundreds and thousands of people stand and try to get autographs and get a glimpse of the players. And uh, I'm standing there with, uh, with Spencer on the other side of the rope now, and um, he's waiting for autographs, and he looks over at my shoulder, because this is like whenever Spencer's ready to make a sarcastic, dry comment, um, he like just kind of looks over at and talks out of the side of his mouth. He says, yesterday I was talking basketball with Tito, now we got to stand out here with these bums. <laughs> That's my boy. But he felt that, like he was in, and now he was out. And, and this, is, this is relevant to, to the, the Christmas story uh, for me, because, because there's this concept of, there's God in all of his holiness, and then there's everybody. There's the world and all of its mess. And what we get from uh, this, this, this Christmas story is this idea that though we can sense the separation, and there's a couple different ways that we can really sense the separation between us and God, God actually chose to leave what you might call the comfort of the dugout, only I'm sure it's much greater, the comfort of heaven, and subject himself in many ways to the world that we're a part of um, every day. And, and so there's God left in order to come here. Now, let me be clear up front. What we know from Scripture is that God was always here. He was always walking or, or amongst us, near us, but the Christmas story, through the incarnation, through taking on flesh, we can now perceive his... So this was really a gift for us in the sense that it wasn't like God put on flesh to see what it was like and, and to come down there. It was, it, he is here and he wanted us to know he's here and so he took on flesh so that we can understand and we touch and hear and see the nearness of God. So let's talk about for a minute, um, our attitudes toward the world around us and toward ourselves, and that's going to help set up uh, a better appreciation for God's attitude toward the world and ourselves. And, and hopefully that will give us something to think about through this week leading up to Christmas and all of its craziness. So, um, question on the table is, has this been a difficult season of life for you? Have you found yourself more frustrated than usual with the world out there. Anybody feel more frustrated than usual with the, because I got to tell you, I'm 44 years old, um, and I don't remember a time in my life when everyone has been so angry at the world out there, myself included. <clears throat> like This is a really frustrating time for us, for most people, and, and I think we we can almost sense uh, and, and feel at times a separation from God just because of the, 
dark world. Like, like, let's say that I had a whiteboard up here, and we'll call it the whiteboard of woe. And if I were to just, I'm not really doing this, okay, so don't shout out your, you know, the, the, or I need a Festivus poll is what I need, the airing of the grievances. Like, like if I were to just air out your grievances right now, I could fill up a whiteboard pretty quick. I could fill up the Festivus poll pretty quick with, I mean, gas prices, inflation. Like we were at Aldi's the other day and it was like $200 of groceries. Normally it's like 80 bucks. Okay, uh, um, worker shortages, supply line stuff, um, uh, uh, politics, uh, um, uh, just, just endless barrage of, of things that, like, I, like for me, okay, I'm not necessarily mad at anybody for this, but it's, it's and then I'm mad because there's nobody to get mad at. Um, three different times this year, <clears throat> three times, I thought that church attendance was going to resume to pre-COVID levels or beyond, and, and then numbers rose and, and things. Like, it just, it's, there's just, we could fill up a whiteboard with Indians, Guardians, Cleveland Browns, professionals. I mean, you could, you could fill up the whiteboard pretty quick with our frustrations and grievances. We, we, are, we are frustrated with the darkness in the world around us right now, probably more than we usually are. So what I want to do is I want to look at, at, at Isaiah 9. So Isaiah was a book in the Old Testament that prophesied, that means like foretold, hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus, there were certain promises or prophecies in the book of Isaiah that people looked to and, and sort of, sort of uh, with great expectation thought about God's going to do something. We don't know exactly what it is, but God's going to do something. So that's the role that Isaiah played to sort of um, prepare the world for the coming of Jesus. And here's what Isaiah says in, in chapter 9. And I think it's important for us when our attitude gets a little grumpy and frustrated because we look at the darkness in the world around us and we kind of get all judgy. Like, it's tough to not get all judgy, right? Because the, the world can seem pretty dark around us and the way people are acting and thinking. And, and Yeah, so <clears throat> here's Isaiah 9, second verse. <clears throat> the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. So the implications of the nearness God chose 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to us should be extra relevant right now because the implications are from Isaiah, God's going to do something that's going to bring light into a place of great darkness. And as we look in the world around us and see great darkness, it should tip us off that somehow this Christmas thing that we're going through, there are some implications. Like, like it, sh it should give us some kind of hope as we endure a place of great darkness right now. It's really tough not to let our frustrations jade us. We're spending a lot of time walking around angry. And somehow we're missing the great light that appeared that was meant to overcome darkness in the world. We'll talk more about that in a minute. 
So sometimes we feel like there's this huge space between us and God because we're caught in this darkness that's all around us. Christmas speaks to that. Other times, we feel separation from God because we're frustrated by the darkness in ourselves. So there's darkness in the world that causes a perceived separation. There's also darkness in ourselves because we know where we've been. We know the things that we've done. We know how we've treated people. We remember our moral failures. We know how disappointed we are with ourselves. We know our addictions. Those things that we return to again and again and again. And sometimes we look inwardly and there's guilt. Uh, There's a kind of darkness. There's a kind of felt separation. Uh, We wonder... Like God wouldn't want anything. God wouldn't want to rub shoulders with us because we know where our shoulders have been. And fortunately, we're going to look back at Isaiah and we're going to see that according to Isaiah, this gift of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, speaks to that separation as well. So not only does Isaiah say that God's going to do something that's going to help bring light to the darkness out there, God's also going to do something, and it's going to help our perceived separation because of the darkness that we feel from within. So this is Isaiah 1. Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So for Isaiah, the message of Christmas was great news for us when we're jaded by the darkness around us, but it was even better news when we're jaded by our own failures. Like, that sounds like a pretty big deal, right? If God says, you know, your sins were going to be blood red, but I'm going to make them white. I'm going to wash things pure. Like, that's, that's, that's good news. That's important for God to say, hey, I want to do this for you. So, I want to spend a few minutes uh, kind of tying all this together using the official uh, Bible verse of football. Okay, this is the verse that you see in end zones, in professional, uh, or in the NFL stadiums, college stadiums, everywhere. You know, somebody holds up the John 3.16 sign. This is John 3.16 and 17, and it's going to show, first of all, that this was in fact a gift. This is a gift given to us, and it's also going to speak to our perceived separation because of the dark world that we live in, that Isaiah spoke to, and our perceived separation because of the darkness that we feel from within, from our own moral failures and life disappointments. It's going to speak to both of those. So let's just, let's just start by, let's, let's read it here. Um, this is, this is 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave, it's a gift. He gave that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So John starts his gospel off. If you were to go back and read the gospel of John, um, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those are the four biographies of Jesus. John presents himself. Uh, He was Jesus' best friend, and he loves for people to know that uh, throughout his gospel. And uh, and he starts out in chapter 1, and he talks about the darkness in the world. He said, you know, 
Jesus came to walk among us. We've seen him. And his own creation turned on him. His own creation rejected him. So John says, I see the darkness that we see. And it was a world so dark that it turned on the God that created it. Okay? So John sees the darkness and he wants us to know that God sees the darkness that we all see. He sees the whiteboard of woe. And, and then by chapter 3, he says, this is how God responded. Because John calls that dark, he calls it the world. Everything far from God, he calls the world. And he says, this is how God responded to the darkness. He says, he loved. The, so he saw it, and he loved it, and he came and he gave. So, so it's important for us to remember Here's your Christmas takeaway number one as we go out and think about the, you know, shopping and, and traffic and whatever, okay? God saw it, and the bedrock that under, underneath, it doesn't mean God isn't frustrated, doesn't mean that God isn't upset, sad, disappointed, even angry at some of the garbage that goes on out there, the darkness around us, but, but the bedrock response from God's heart is what? It's love. God loved the world. So here's takeaway number one. What if we decide that we're going to respond to the world, to all that darkness out there, the way God did? For, for just, just this, I mean, ideally, ideally it goes you know, beyond this week, but let's just baby steps. And we're going to start with this week, the week of Christmas. We're going to respond to the darkness like God did with love. <clears throat> and so that's going to mean different things for different people. Maybe it means you're just going to, you're going to, you're going to tip. You're going to tip big this week. Okay? You go out for lunch, dinner, whatever. You're going to you're going to tip big this week. You're going to respond to the frustration with acts of love and generosity. Maybe it means you're not going to be aggressive. You're going to get in the slow lane and you know, you're not going to be aggressive and and somebody cuts you off or or the the you know, the, the, they're, they're, they're texting instead of going on a green light. You miss, you miss the cycle. Isn't that frustrating? You miss the cycle of green because somebody up front, and, and you're not going to run with it. And you're not going to let the anger manifest. Or maybe, um, you know, you're, you're, you guys brood, like uh, ruminate. Like, I, like, like, really just, you know, it's all in your head. Hopefully it stays there in, in terms of there are things that frustrate you and you just, you just go on like a, a good five-minute inward, like, like you just brood and ruminate over those idiots that think like that. <clears throat> and maybe um, because you're going to respond with love. Uh, you're, so I have this mantra, okay, and I'm no good at it whatsoever. Um, it, it, it's notice every thought. And, and I'm seriously, like I'm on a two-year curve, growth curve, with absolutely no growth, okay? Notice every thought. And the idea is that, that like, like you, you, you learn to, to spot, because I do this, like, like you learn to spot um, uh, negative thoughts or sinful thoughts or whatever, and you notice when it first bubbles, and you deal with it. Okay, and, and, I, and I definitely tend to, to ruminate and brood uh, and, and just kind of sulk over frustrations. And, and the idea is that you notice it and then you think of something else that is good and positive and whatever. Okay, what if we try that this week to keep us like, like maybe the, the most loving thing we can do 
is just to not dive down in and let ourselves think about how stupid a group of people are. Okay? Uh, or, or another thing, maybe you do this, like we have our friends and we know how they think and act and vote and whatever, and they're like us, like we're on the same aisle, uh, side of the aisle, or we think the same thing about uh, masks or vaccines or mandates or whatever, or, or gas prices or stimulus or whatever, and, and you've had the same conversation uh, literally a hundred times over the past couple months. You just get together and you, you like, you know, you need to vent and so you fuel each other by just piling on and you've literally had the same conversation a thousand times, but it's, but it, but it's fun and, and, and therapeutic and so you just like fuel each other's fire on how stupid that group of people is um, and it, you, know what, you know what I'm saying, we, we do this and, and maybe uh, to respond in love, you're just not going to engage in that. Um, whatever it is, uh, let's try to find some ways this week, maybe beyond, to respond to the darkness the way God did. God loved the world. And so try with me to respond in love. All right, so God saw that darkness out there. And he didn't want us to feel like we were separated from him because of that darkness. And so he, he, he loved, he loved the, the darkness. And he, he came to the darkness so that we uh, could maybe get past some of that feeling of isolation and separation. Now let's talk about that second concept. <clears throat> the second cause for a jaded life. And, and that's the, the distance we feel between ourselves and God because of our own mess. Because of our own sin, because God also, um, he wanted to do something about that as well. So going back to the football verse, John 3, 16, uh, God gave. Okay, this is a gift. It's not earned. It's not, a, it's not a payment in the sense that he paid you for doing something. It's a gift in the sense that it's unearned and it's undeserved. And, and what we understand is that God absolutely sees that darkness in your life that you feel. Are, but but look, at, look at the response. Let's go back to, to John 3. <clears throat> for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, and you're the whoever, I'm the whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have what's the gift. The gift is eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So we get the concept that God lays out for that. This is a gift. This is something undeserved. God chose not to condemn us in our faults, but rather he chose to save us. So the judge comes to save, not to condemn. If you go back to the baseball concept, God had all the conveniences of being separated from the mess, like the, you know, there's whatever wall he wanted there, whatever netting, whatever ropes he was set. He had all the, but how did he respond? He actually crossed over, or at least let us perceive that he was already, you know, he was already there. He, he wanted us to understand that he's, he doesn't separate himself from the mess. He, he, he joins, and he doesn't do so in order to condemn. Like we could maybe understand, okay, God came over to, to drop the hammer because we messed up his good and right creation. But that's not why he came. He came to save, not to condemn. Do you remember those 
there were those horrible billboards. They were black with white letters. And it was supposed to be like quotes from God. And, and one of them was, um, what was it? Have you read, have you read my uh, um, number one bestseller, There Will Be a Test? And the implication was like, you know, you better read the Bible because there's like a Bible trivia to see whether you can get into heaven or not. Um, but there's another one that was way worse. <clears throat> it, was, and it was, you know, God was, the, that was, the, the, that was the, the quote was attributed to God. And then there was one, don't make me come down there, God. And, you know, I, I'm driving, and every time I saw it, I'm just like, there, 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 are, there, are, there are so, there's so much wrong with like, whoever came up with that billboard, had they read the number one bestseller, they wouldn't have come up with the billboard because God, that, like, there's so much wrong with that. Like, uh, first of all, the idea like God's up there, don't make me come down there. But then it's like, like I thought that symbolically God kind of did. And, and it wasn't anything that we should have, like he came down to, like every, like literally everything is wrong with that billboard. Anyway, I need to go revert myself back to, no, we're going to be, we're going to respond with love. I need to respond with love even to the people that, that came up with that stupid billboard. All right. Um... The idea is, like, like, we could expect that. Like, like, it could be bad news when God comes down and catches us with, Ugh. But what we see from John is that God responds to us in all of our fallenness and all of our brokenness with love and with eternal life. And he did not send Jesus, he did not come down there to condemn the world, to condemn us, but rather to save us. He knew that we perceived ourselves as far from him because of our moral failures. And he said, I want to fix that. And so I'm gonna, let's look at, look at Colossians 3. This kind of lays it out as good as any place that I know of. <clears throat> For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. See, that, that, like the perfect Christmas um, verse and there's your incarnation and Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell <coughs> and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven that's that's all the things right in earth or heaven making peace by the blood of his cross and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, like you were once very far from God <clears throat> because of the evil things that you've done, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. <clears throat> now those are incredible implications from that, but the idea is that God understood how far we are from him. We felt disconnected with him because we are, because that's what sin does. And so he took on flesh to go to the cross and pay our death penalty for us. Now what more could God have done aside from say, hey, yep, what you do is pretty bad, 
but I am going to pay the death penalty for you so that you can understand that everything you've done has been paid for. And then that idea there, those last couple sentences there, or words there, of above reproach in his sight, without blemish, <clears throat> free from accusation, one of the versions says. Uh, how can it be that, that the cross was so thorough, the death penalty was so thorough that Jesus paid that now, somehow in God's sight, I am free from accusation. It's like God says, I don't want there to be anything between you and I. That, that perceived distance, I want it gone. I want you to feel like you belong. That's how it worked. That's what an incredible gift it really was. <clears throat> so if you feel that distance, if you feel like God wouldn't want to connect with you because he knows your sin, understand that he knew your sin and he still came and he paid the death penalty for you. He died on your behalf. And if you feel like you just can't live good enough for God's approval, you're right. And neither can I. Nobody can. God understood that. And he wanted us to feel like we could connect with him anyway. He did not want us to feel like there was a net, like there was a wall between us. And so he did that. Here's the ultimate gift. I want you to see your sins being paid for by death penalty. And guess what? I'm going to pay that death penalty on your behalf. And I would say that there's just not much that God could have done to more, like, to, to, to help us better understand <clears throat> the connection that we can have with him. Now, in the ancient church, these were the first Christians, the first followers of Jesus. It was called the way. Um, when they said these were people that were taught by Jesus himself or taught by the disciples who were taught by Jesus, the way they responded, the way they received the gift, the way they said yes to Jesus is they would confess their faith and then they were baptized. And they were baptized, the, the word baptism actually means immerse. I mean, they, they were dropped back. We know historically this was the case. They were dropped back underwater and then brought up out of the water. And there was this ritual with this incredible symbolism that the Bible says identified with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. It also showed symbolically the washing of sin away. It also showed symbolically the death to the old self and the raising to life again of the new self. And that's why at Polaris, this is what we, we do this, the same kind of thing. When someone wants to say yes to Jesus, uh, they can be baptized. And right up behind that screen is <clears throat> this big old baptistry and, and do the same thing, just that down under the water and up out of the water. And, and it, it's become this incredible experience for people. And so what I would say for you, if you feel like you've never really opened that gift that God has given you, and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, and you want to start, the, the, we can, we'll schedule a baptism anytime. Um, what a great way to start off a new year. To say yes to Jesus like they did 2,000 years ago with the symbolism of a, of, a, of a washing and a newness of life. And if you want to set that up, um, I'm more than happy to help you with it. If you want to hear more about that, I'm more than happy to walk you through any of this stuff that we're talking about today. If you feel separated from God by your own issues, you really need to open that ultimate gift that God gave you. That's why he sent it, because he wants you to have it. So God responded to the darkness in the world 
by coming to us, by plunging into it. That's part of the ultimate gift we celebrate at Christmas. So I hope you'll respond to the world around you with that kind of love like God did. Respond to the darkness with love. Also, God responded to your personal shortcomings and failures by coming to you. He paid the price for anything that you could have between you and him. The Bible says he did so once and for all so that you and I can just receive that gift that he gave us and enjoy all the benefits of an eternal connection with God. And I hope if you haven't yet done that, that that's something that just, just receive that incredible gift and live in that credible gift, that incredible gift that, uh, that he gave for you. All right, we're going to do one last song. <clears throat> and this is just kind of a Christmas classic and at the same time takes this concept of God's love for the world and for you. And I hope that, that through this song you can just um, um, let it marinate, okay? Just, just let it soak in uh, the incredible gift of love that God gave us 2,000 years ago and it brings something to this week of Christmas. Father, thank you for, uh, for loving us, <clears throat> for stepping into the darkness, um, for loving us in spite of the darkness. I'm such a relief to know that the bedrock uh, emotion you have for us is love. And I pray that we would go and do likewise. And I, I'm going to ask you, God, that if there's anyone here that needs to open that gift, that you would pour out uh, your spirit and you would draw them with great conviction to start that new life that you came to bring them. In Jesus' name, amen.